Good afternoon. Welcome today to today's Round the Table live stream with Christian Concern. Uh, we're really glad to have you with us on 5th of November, bonfire night for some of us. Um, and I'm really glad to be joined today uh, by Tim Dieppe, who many of you will know from previous live streams. He's normally hosting. He is our head of public policy. Hi, Tim. Nice to see you. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Good to see you soon. And also by Pastor Ade Amuba MBE, our co-founder. Hi, it's good to be here. Good to see you. Thank yeah. you to everyone who is joining us today for this interesting live stream. I think we've got a very interesting topic today. Climate change or Christ crucified, the church's priorities. Uh, so we've got some very interesting things to talk about today. Uh, and we'll go into those in a moment. Before we start, I just want to make sure you know to like our video as uh, we're live streaming. It's really important to click the thumbs up if you're on YouTube, to like it on Facebook. It helps more people find us. And also to be sending in your comments and questions. We want you to tell us what you're thinking about these subjects. And, and I'll be looking at your comments and I'll hopefully put some of your questions to Tim and Ade. So why are we talking about climate change? Why are we talking about Christ crucified? Uh, well, it won't have escaped uh, anyone's attention that this week we've been having in Glasgow a uh, conference, a worldwide international conference on climate change, COP26 it's called. Um, and the reason we're particularly bringing this question up is because our friend, uh, the Reverend Dr. William Phillip, uh, who has partnered with us on other uh, initiatives in the past, uh, he uh, leads a church in Glasgow, Tron Church, and during the conference he uh, put up a banner outside his uh, church. It said, the world's most urgent need is churches preaching Christ crucified, not climate change. And uh, that's been taken by some as a little bit controversial. Um, and in fact, the banner was vandalized and torn down within 48 hours. Um, so uh, that's why we're talking about this subject. Um, and I want to go over to Ade to start off with on this. Uh, what do you think about this banner and what's your initial response to what happened? Well, I always find these things quite interesting, but at the same time, our reality. And where I would like to start is go to scriptures and look at the whole issue around climate change and Christ um, on, in the hindsight, in the insight and in the foresight. And if I go to the hindsight, we're talking about the earth. And in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right at the beginning, the earth was in a mess. <laughs> it was, the whole climate was in a mess. It says in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then what happens? It is him, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that now moved over the mess that the earth was, the void and the darkness and the calamity, the spirit moved over it, surveyed it, analyzed it, researched it. And thereafter, God then brought solutions and created all things to make what was so messy and he made it beautiful. Made it beautiful. And then how we made it beautiful, he now says, created, you and I were part of the solution. And he now said, I'm now going to give you dominion over it all. He said, I need you to till it, replenish it, subdue it, you know, and also be fruitful and multiply with it. So the one person who knows about when climate change or the earth is in a mess is the one who created it and gave it to us. And so we cannot resolve it without going to the one 
who formed it, as it were, and also established it. And those are not my words. They are the words in scripture. Jeremiah 33, look at what it says in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. He says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. He made it. <laughs> he formed it all and then he established it. And then we corrupted it. <laughs> we are the ones who corrupted it. And having corrupted it, he now gave us his son again to help us redeem it. How do we think we can redeem the mess of climate without him who created, formed it, and established it? No, you can't do it without him. And he, he says he will show us if we call what we don't know about it. You know, and so you... you and I believe the banner is how people read it, is pointing us back to the real solution. It's not against action, no. It's saying, pray, reflect, act. Let your action be guided by the one who understands and knows it. And it's only through him, only through him, that we can really find a wholesome, holistic solution to the issue of climate change. Don't forget that in Matthew 24, he already told us about these things. He told us about that we'll have issues with famine, with pestilence, with wars, with floods. He told us about these things. They're not good, but he said they will happen. He prepared us for it. But he's the one that also has the power. We all read it in scriptures. When you go into, the, into, into what he did, he's the man that is able to calm storms and heavy winds. We read it in scriptures. Okay, I'm, I'm noticing that um, someone on YouTube has commented that there are many scriptures that suggest that God is in charge of the weather. Um, and that's kind of what you're pointing to, isn't it, Ade? I mean, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and where I want to conclude on that is that, let me read to you where he's totally in charge. In Colossians, Colossians 1, 15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in, are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things might have, pre, that might, might have the preeminence in him again. And then verse 19, 20 says, for, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him. I say whether things, whether they be things in, on, in the earth or things in heaven. I love this place because he speaks about the weather, about earth, and then he talks about Christ crucified, reconciling everything back. To himself he's the one that knows how to reconcile the damage to our earth our climate because it was created by him through him for him and he takes preeminence in it and in him they all consist he's the one that can say something and it's calm so i'm saying please he is key and core to our solution to climate change and i, I believe that is those three things we need to pray about it ask his help to give us insight into what to do we need to reflect on those things and change where we have to change, and then we take action. So it's a form of madness in a way in, in Glasgow if if you've gathered all these people together to try and address the solution and you're not referencing presumably God at all. In fact, we're going to come on to 
uh, one one element of that in a moment. Let me read to you what um, what William Phillip said to Premier about this. He says, it seems that saying when the COP, that's the conference, is happening right on our doorstep, that there is something more important, in fact, far more important, that the church must speak about is embarrassing for some Christians. I think that that betrays a dangerous misunderstanding of the real urgency of the message we have been charged with taking to the world, an eternal supernatural gospel. Uh, what do you think about that, Tim? Yeah, well, I, I, William Philip is absolutely right on this, isn't he? That the most important message for the whole world is the message of redemption, the message of forgiveness, uh, the message that we all need God's mercy and forgiveness and love and, and the message of the gospel. And as Ade was saying, without that, we won't solve the problem of climate change. And with it, we can and and God can renew and restore and refresh the earth. And it's like, you know, Romans 8, the whole creation groans in eager expectation for the redemption of the sons of God. And I think that's part of what's happening. Here. And also, when we talk about climate change, I'm always reminded of Genesis 8.22, where God promises very clearly. I'll just read it. Genesis 8.22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease there you go absolute promise from god we're going to continue to have seasons and cold and heat and summer and winter all the way through um i'm not i'm not opposed to trying to do things things you know use renewable energy help with climate change all that sort of stuff but the church is right the, the primary the most important purpose that we can all have is to preach the gospel and to get people redeemed and get people saved and that's that's really what we need to do and, and it, the reaction to it is what's kind of shocking you know and i think it shows a kind of religious fervor in some of these climate change activists that 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 their god is the climate or their god is the the earth or the creation in a sense and and any rival god even the gospel which isn't really a rival god because you know, it's the god of creation they they want to take it down they can't cope with it and the religious element is i think betrayed in the, the challenge of there's something else more important. Well, there is something else more important, and it is the gospel. Yeah, the um... I just think that Paul, what Tim just said there. Why would we want to solve the creation issue, but separate it from the Creator? I mean, you know, all of us are, as human beings, we know that when we have any equipment, machinery, whatever it is. When he has a problem, you're going to the person who manufactured it and going to look at the manual and going to look at what you know you will help us get it right. But when it comes to earth, we want to try and deal with it, and maybe not so much those in the world, because the Bible says at times this spirituality is too much for carnal minds. What baffles me is when people who say that Christ are Bible believing Christians cannot also say that that you cannot separate creation from the one who created it when you're looking for solutions. Mm. Mm. There was a really interesting quote, uh, also kind of picked up by uh, Premier. Um, I'm going to read it out to you, and I want want your take on this. Um, so this is from Andy Lester, who is head of con uh, conservation at a Christian environmental charity called A Rocha, Roca, Roca, UK, uh, who said that Christ crucified and climate change are not two separate things. And here's his quote. We know that we serve a God who died at Calvary and rose again, but he died at Calvary for all our sins, for all the things that we've done to each other, but also done to the planet. So climate change is a symptom of that scene of that brokenness. Climate change is a reflection of Christ crucified. They're not two separate things. They're one and the same in terms of the link between sin and salvation and hope. 
I think there are lot, lots of things to take out of that quote, potentially, but I want to hear from, from both of you, uh, your reaction to that. Tim first. Okay, so um, in a sense, right, the fall and the effects of sin is what is causing damage to creation. And some of that is human made, of course, and some of that is just generally a consequence of the fall. And so in that sense, you know, that Jesus died and paid the price for all the consequences of sin, uh, and our sin in particular, he's kind of right in that statement. But in another sense, he's not right, um, because ultimately we need to individually respond to the cross and individually accept the salvation that comes from it. And that's kind of a separate thing that we each need to do individually um, to kind of carry for creation, which is also important. But it's not as important because ultimately our souls are what are in what is eternal here in the mix here. And then without forgiveness and redemption, um, it's not going to work well for us in the end. Um, and so we we all need that and we desperately need it. And like we, like I said in Romans 8, the creation waits in redemption, waits in eager expectation for the redemption of the sons of God. You know, it's like the creation is groaning for redemption and the redemption ultimately will come at the consummation of creation, of course. And until then, we are living in a fallen world and we will be living in a fallen world, but it can be partially redeemed by us and by individuals being redeemed as well. I think that's my take on it, Paul. I'm sure Ade will have more. Let me just read out a quick comment before then uh, from Elizabeth on Facebook. Thanks very much for uh, for this comment. God created us to take care of all he created and loved, plants, animals, people, etc. That's why he made us in his image, to take care of all he made in the, uh, all he made in the way he would. Not to save the planet. God will do that when he renews the earth and comes to live here, when uh, earth and heaven are united here. Getting people saved is necessary also to fulfilling his will for us without repentance and a renewing of our minds and actions. We can't fulfill our God-given task. Thanks for that comment. Keep those coming in. Ade, uh, what are your thoughts on that? And the quote from uh, Andy. Well, just to say I'm in agreement with Tim. And, I, and, and what I like, the aspect of scripture I like is when you go into Isaiah 53. And, and it, verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The transmission of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I like this passage because it speaks, you know, wholesomely to our flaws as human beings generally, um, whether of faith or no faith. When he says wounded, he paid the price for transgressions, the laws that we've broken, whatever those laws are, our iniquities, the abominations and immoralities that we've committed. He also paid a price for it. Our insecurities as well. He paid a price. He was chastised for our peace. Peace means security. You know, but we have so much insecurities that bring us as a world to where we are. And, and, and also by his stripes we're healed. Healing means also our well-being. He paid for our well-being. And when you look at this issue that people are talking about, about climate change, some are, a lot are blaming governments, blaming individuals, blaming groups, blaming companies that is their doing is there are errors they broke the law or whatever that law is whether it's you know the, the nature itself um governments at times with what they do because they're they'll say they're greedy in, in the way that when it comes to um the deforestation they, we can go on about all their points it's not that we're oblivious to those things but again when you look at isaiah 50, um, 53 5 there these are things that christ paid the price laid his life down to help us as human beings and i like the 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 the, the, the um the um, comment that came in, it talks about we need to help people renew their minds because when minds are renewed, lives are transformed. And when lives are transformed, that means they will do 
what is right to do. And, and, and these are the things that Christ paid for us to say, renew your minds. And I hope that the church is so key there in helping the world to renew, to transform. I'm reminded by what you've been talking about uh, to, uh, I'm being reminded of Joy to the World, which is my favorite Christmas carol. I'm a musician. I am, uh, I'm thinking about Christmas music already. And, uh, and one of the verses of that says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. So talking back to the, the curse in Genesis 3, when we felt no thorns infest the ground, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. So, uh, so Jesus on the cross, of course, he deals. Can with I just correct uh, a misperception as well, though, Paul, because I, mm -hmm. I see from Elizabeth as, as slightly correct to me, perhaps I said our souls are eternal and she's like, but we're going to be embodied. Well, she's right. We are going to be embodied. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Because, because when <laughs> Jesus fixes the problem, of mm -hmm. sin on the cross by uh, dying for us then he solves with it the the things that that sin caused which is the which is the destruction of the earth or the or the, the faults of the earth so uh, they go together but at the heart of it is christ crucified i think we're all agreed um, mm -hmm. i just want to give one more quote from uh, william philip uh, in his article he said the most urgent need is for the world to realize that its priorities are all wrong and that's why I think he put the put the banner up. I think he knew it would be somewhat controversial, but it's it's a it's a need for the church sometimes to to say something that may jar with people a little bit, mm. but the, to land the fact that priorities of the church are different um, to to the world, and uh, and we also saw that with with the, what we were dealing with William uh, on a little while ago, which was this judicial review in Scotland of the of the government uh, shutting down all worship services. And a, and a huge part of that was um, that you've got the government allowing all kinds of different activities, um, some of which are more dangerous in terms of spreading COVID. This is back in January. Uh, some of which are more dangerous than church services, but the world's priorities were different to the churches. And so it was banning church worship services while allowing other things which uh, Christians must think uh, is actually more important. So the priorities uh, we're at the heart of that whole issue. Uh, any more thoughts on you before we move on to, to the next topic, Tim and Ade? I think that's a good lead into the next topic. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, let's go on to that because um, because there was a very vastly different response to the environment from uh, some other churches. Um, and it's been brought to light uh, this week, helpfully by Dave Brennan uh, of Brefos, um, that a church in uh, Norwich, St. Peter Mancroft, uh, hosted a piece of artwork called Gaia, and it's this great big kind of uh, vision from satellite imagery of of the world. Um, and let me let me read a quote from their press release. Speech, speaking at the launch event, the Lord Mayor said that the Gaia art installation helped him to see himself in proportion to the rest of the world, and that Gaia, named after the mother of all in Greek mythology, hung in the church like a mother patiently waiting. The Lord Mayor ended his speech saying that we must each take personal action on climate change. So um, your reflections, Tim and Pastor Ade, on on whether whether that should have happened. So what is extraordinary about this is that they've taken this Gaia. They know that it means and refers to a Greek pagan god. And they put a great big exhibit it and, and deliberately called it Gaia um, in that sense. And I think, you know, this is part of the increasing paganism that we're seeing in us in our culture and it's kind of like so in your face here they've named an exhibit after a greek god um and that there's sort of as i was talking earlier about how 
some of these climate activists, it is their religion and they worship nature. And some of them will even refer to Gaia in this kind of way and, and talk about it as a pagan god um, in that kind of way. Um, and then for a church to sort of adopt that language and an exhibition and sort of, you know, you know it, it very clearly in the early church, they would have seen this as idolatry. Um, this is this is an idol that they're, that they're displaying in the church and, and clearly sort of pointing to it. And there is an idolatry of creation. There is an idolatry of earth, of so-called mother nature, all that kind of stuff. And this belief that nature solves all the problems and nature has everything perfect. And, and it's, it's got its own ideas of sin, its own ideas of redemption, its own ideas of apocalypse. Um, and, and it becomes a religion very, very quickly. A lot of this climate change stuff very quickly can become and is for a lot of people a substitute religion um, and a pagan religion. And this Gaia exhibition absolutely demonstrates that and shows that. And it's disturbing, but also kind of revealing that a church would have a display uh, with this pagan idolatrous name in the middle of it. Um, and it shows the way our culture is going in this way. Yeah, thank you for that. It's also worth noting this is this isn't just some little pokey church um, in in Norfolk somewhere. This is the big, impressive kind of church in the middle of Norfolk. I think it's right by the um, by the market there. Um, right in the centre. And the exhibition's also been at Liverpool and Salisbury cath cathedrals before and is now actually at the conference itself in Glasgow. Um, your thoughts, Pastor Adi? Well, speaking to the church, I use the phrase many times that relevance without revelation is regression. And oftentimes, church, church leadership are hoping to want to be seen to be relevant when things happen, and then we fall into what I call misplaced and displaced priorities, not knowing where to draw the line. The Bible is for our revelation and education. And like we've tried this morning, speaking of climate change, to go back to scripture and look at what is the revelation, what is the education of the matter, and that is what we apply and to the extent we apply ourselves. And so it, for, for a church to, 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 to bring such paganism, because it, it is, is, if you go to the core of it, they're trying to be relevant. You know, you, you cross boundaries. You don't have to do that. You know, this was almost a similar thing. And, and one is to speak boldly into those spaces, like the days of the greatest born of woman, Jesus said, John the Baptist. He was speaking out to a nation and also to what was perhaps the church at the time, because he was saying that there are misplaced and displaced priorities. He was look, he was speaking out that there is error here. You need to repent. You need to repent. The, the, that was where the priority was. Others were thinking, no, you know, whether it was the Pharisees and Sadducees, they thought they were holier and righteous and they got it all. And, and, and we saw how that happened. But regardless of the persecution, he spoke out. He was visible and vocal and only would be guided by the revelation he got and will only apply relevance based on the revelation from God and what he knew. Yes, it cost him his life, but as it was then, so it is now. And we must set our face like a flint and constantly on these issues, make sure the church is always aligned on issues like this or um, in real, uh, um, as scripture prescribes and nothing else. Exactly. That's one of my con biggest concerns about this. I mean, obviously, 
in our in our culture in our language we do sort of have some language that refers to pagan gods of, of some kind or other like the way we name the days of the week and we also name months after roman emperors and so on so um you know these things are part of our culture but um but in uh it's it's that we go as christians we think God has given us a task to have dominion over creation and to care for it. And we all recognize that. And then in the minds of some Christians, we then stop there and we then go, OK, so we really need to care about the environment. Someone else, come and tell us what we need to do about the environment. Come and tell us what we need to do about this problem. And we don't build up and we don't. We, there's an absence of anything that we have to say as Christians about this specifically. We don't go to the Bible and to theology and and uh, each other for these answers. We ask other people to come in and tell us what to believe about them. Um, any thoughts on that, Tim? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, if you take God out of the picture, you're going to replace God, the real God, with something else, aren't you? You're going to find another God and another source of morality and another source of ultimate values. And um and this is what what happens here, and and um, everybody ultimately worships something. Everybody ultimately has some source of ultimate values or some source of where they get the morality from, and that is their god, really. And in this case, um, you know, well-intentioned people who rightly want to care for the environment end up making it their god, and end up making the environment their god, and end up judging everything by that measure. Especially when you get to the extreme levels of even blocking motorways and all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, they've made this ultimate thing, the ultimate thing of value that everything else should bow down to. It's clearly a kind of form of worship there um, that's going on. And, and that's that's what happens here. And actually, you know, Christianity and the Bible has got things to say about all of these issues. And it has got things to say about creation care and environmentalism and all that kind of thing. And and very clear mandate for people to look after the planet, look after the world, not to pollute it and you know not to exploit it all that kind of thing um and we should do that but we do that while serving our god not sort of finding our values from somewhere else joe rowlands has an interesting uh, comment there on facebook god is getting replaced by the nhs and i think that's possibly another example different area where we go well looking after people who are ill sick that is a christian duty uh, but are we now putting our trust in the NHS and about in a particular way of caring for those people uh, rather than acting as Christians in whatever way, maybe through the NHS, but also through other ways uh, to care for people? Well, um, can I just say, Paul, what you just said, talking about the NHS there, some of us at one time or the other have fallen ill and we appreciate immensely the care that we get from our doctor, doctors, the healthcare system. Um, we we appreciate it. We know what it is when you have people who can care for you, who have been blessed by God with a knowledge um, um, to an extent to care for you. But I always say this, that as pastors um, and leaders of churches, we pray. Doctors, nurses, the medics, they care, but only God heals. Only God heals. No matter what we in our prayer place, in the care and the care, we can do all we want, but only God heals. And it was once a cousin of mine who is a GP that said to me, "Cause let me say this to you. I'm, I'm, I've been doing what I do for 40 years as a gynecologist. And I'm saying to you that I've learned that all we can do is care. Only God heals. He understands what he created in the human body. We can stitch it up. We can do a transplant. We can do all of that, but only he can heal. And it's so important that we, the one that ultimately heals, 
should always be the one you put our trust in. Embrace, acknowledge, respect those who pray for you, who care for you, but trust God as the only one who ultimately heals. Thanks, Pastor Addy, for that. I want to just move on to our final kind of topic for discussion today, because uh, we're, we're running short on time. Um, last week, on last Friday, the government announced its uh, consultation on banning conversion therapy or so-called conversion therapy. And I just want to make sure we get a bit of time to talk about this. It's a big issue. Um, we, there's lots to say about it. We're not, not going to be able to cover um, all of our points or all the things we might want to say about it right now. Um, so watch out uh, for more things in the coming weeks as this consultation period comes on. But Tim, could you possibly give us um, an overview of what the government's saying and uh, a brief uh, guide to, to what we should be thinking about as Christians? Sure, yeah. Well, look, we're, we're working very hard on this consultation and thinking very hard about it and working out the best way to respond to it. Um, our position is that there should not be, there does not need to be a new law um, on this. And interestingly, the government agrees in respect to physical therapies. They say all of that is already criminalised, so there's no need for a new law there. Um, but they do want a new law. They think there's a gap in the law for what they call uh, coercive therapy, coercive talking therapy. Now, I think that's a bit of an oxymoron. No therapist is coercive. Co therapist Therapy relies on sort of helping the person achieve what they want. And um, we don't like the term coercive therapy. But anyway, these therapist is helping somebody who wants to be helped um, with unwanted sexual desires in this case, or indeed unwanted gender um, expressions. Um, and so what the government wants to do is introduce a new offence of coercive uh, conversion therapy. The problem is it's not very clear what that means, what exactly constitutes coercion, um, and, and what could be caught exactly by that. And I think this could be a real breach of um, freedom of expression, freedom of religious belief, and that kind of thing. And then what they're saying is, in general, for talking therapy, um, so the, the physical therapy is set aside, but talking therapy, over 18s must sign a consent form about it, and under 18s cannot consent um, to it at all. Now, I've got no objection to over 18s signing a consent form to undertake therapy. Most therapists normally have a consent form anyway, so that's not an issue in principle. But to say that under 18s cannot consent means that children can have nobody say to them, or nobody can challenge or help them with gender dysphoria um, and with struggles with their gender identity. And you could criminalize parents this way, as well as teachers or any therapist who dares to challenge or suggest it's better to live according to your biological sex. And I think this is a really serious problem and a kind of crazy government that says a child can't consent to talking therapy, but can consent to puberty blockers, for example, and physical therapy for this kind of thing. Um, so this is where I think we really want to shine the light and highlight and say, look, is this really where the government wants to go and stop people from talking to children about their gender dysphoria and issues they have there? So to be clear, this new offence would cover talking therapies only, whatever talking therapies are. That's right, isn't it, Tim? Correct. And so they've said in a few places, uh, conversion therapy cannot be taken to mean casual conversations or I think they yep. say pure speech acts. Yeah. Um, how are they going to? How are they going to do that? How are they going to make sure that it doesn't apply to just casual conversations, to a, a parents talking to their children, to say a youth pastor talking to a sixteen-year-old who's having feelings yep. they don't like? What 
what do you think about that? Well, I think that I think yeah, I think that's the challenge. I think it's very difficult to sort of carve out these things. Obviously, if you're paying money to a therapist, well, that's clear. Okay, that's one thing. But there's a lot of pastoral care that takes place that could be described as therapy. And is that caught by this new law? Well, maybe it is. Uh, I think it very likely is actually. Prayer, they sort of carved out and said that that wouldn't be counted. Speech acts and casual conversations wouldn't be counted. But this is all open to be tested um, by when a new law comes as to what will count and what won't count. And the offensive coercive conversion therapy, um, you only have to have been coercive once in your speech and you could be criminalized for that. And what exactly constitutes coercive is very difficult to define in this. If you say this is sinful and is going to lead you away from God, is that going to be counted as coercive? Well, it could be. I mean, I, you know, I don't see a, a good safeguard for this. Um, so, you know, I think this is where we'd get into real problems, the government trying to legislate down this area, because drawing boundaries around this kind of thing is very, very hard and will lead to bad law. And the, it will probably lead to extension of the law as more and more people try and sort of pile on, say this should also be criminalised, this should also be criminalised. And we know that the activists on the other side think that the proposals as they stand are far too generous. They ought to be outlawing prayer. They ought to be allowed, or, you know, saying nobody can consent to this kind of conversation. Well, that's really um, necessary, isn't it, for them? Because, in fact, basically nothing that's happening anyway in the UK is really covered by any of these things. There aren't, there aren't, there isn't a significant problem that we know of with any co coercive sort of high pressure therapy going on. There isn't any examples of people using electroshock therapy, the physical type stuff, or the kinds of things like... Which is already rape. illegal. Already illegal. It's already illegal. Yeah. Uh, or corrective rape, which is obviously illegal. And as far as we know, never practiced in the UK. All of so. those physical things are already illegal. And the government's admitted that and agreed with that in the consultation. That's You see that? And that's the scare language that everyone says. We should ban these things, all these physical things. And the government's looked at it and said, well, actually, they're already banned anyway. So we can't really do anything and about that. And they're not happening. Um, not happening so, well. so, so yeah. basically, so so if that's the case, then it seems to me that the only real purpose of a ban is really to put pressure on those who do still hold to a Christian ethic about sexuality and particularly the church. Uh, and in fact, kind of one of the main campaigners uh, to ban conversion therapy is someone who is on the General Synod of the Church of England is very actively campaigning to change the church's teaching on this issue. What do you think about, about that, Pastor Addy? Well, for me, it's a typical situation, again, whereby we take something, and I use the word we, you know, we take something so simple and sensible, and then we complicate it and implicate people. We, it, it, we have the God-given right, and, and even the human right, of freedom to choose and change to choose and change. And it's simple, it's sensible. And then we are trying to now bring in laws to complicate that and then get people implicated by it. And so I say to myself that if we have a freedom that allows us to choose and change, shouldn't then there be a freedom to also choose, as it were, um, a freedom to provide and access the services that facilitates those choices we make and the change. Because for those choices and those change, people must also have the freedom to access what will help them 
make those choices and change. And then what we want to do is say, well, you can have all the freedoms to choose and change as you like, but we're going to put boundaries and we're going to put restrictions on how you access things that will help you make those choices or make the change. It's either is equal opportunity or it's not. You can't have one and discard the other. And this will not just speak into the issue of, as it were, conversion therapy alone. It will speak into so many other areas of life where people have the freedom to choose and change. And, and, and I just feel that I hope this government is bold enough to understand that this is one that, in my view, is unnecessary. It's another, another unnecessary legislation that we're trying to create that all it will do is complicate to implicate. And I hope that at some point is something that will not go ahead. One is praying for it. However, what I can speak for myself, if the government goes and pass whatever law, it's going to be to me, just like this, that they are, are the apostles. You can do what you want to do. You are never going to stop me by legislation. When anybody approaches me and says, please pray with me, can I get some wisdom? Can you support me? Because I want to change and move away from something that really hampers me. I'm going to serve them as a pastor. I'm going to serve them as somebody who cares. And I'm going to do what I will do to anybody else. And no legislation is going to stop me from doing it. And that's what it means to love your neighbour as a Christian <laughs> and to love other people in the church. We've got a question here from Leslie Lockhart. Um, I'm hoping Tim can answer. Would this new law prevent help to Kira Bell and others like her? Tim, why don't you uh, remind people who Kira Bell yeah, is? Yeah, so Kira Bell, it's a great question, Leslie. Um, Kira Bell um, is the person who's actually taken uh, to court the Tavistock Clinic because when she was uh, young, 16, uh, she was desperate to change gender and argued very strongly to change gender. And the NHS clinic uh, supported her in that. Um, and there's a professional ban on conversion therapy as it stands. So therapy to challenge her acquired gender would not be allowed, even as it stands the law today, professional therapy. Um, and so they gave her puberty blockers and led her down the path of transition in an irreversible way. She's now saying, nobody, I shouldn't have been able to consent to that. That was crazy. Those doctors should not have agreed with me. I had other mental issues as well. And so it's crazy for the doctor to say, yes, 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 we'll give you this physical treatment with, with potentially irreversible consequences um, for your gender dysphoria and pretend you can change your actual sex, which you can't. So uh, Kira has detransitioned back to being a female, but you know, with physical consequences that she's going to have to live with um, as a result of the treatment she had. And, and she was bringing this legal case about that. And... Um, and this is the point. It's absolutely the point. You know, who can help the people like Kira Bell, who now in hindsight come and say, somebody should have challenged me um, on my gender. Somebody should have said, no, you're not a man. You can't be a man. You're a woman. You're, and that's how you, you're made to live. And that's what you should be. And with the professional ban as it stands, professionals can't do that. With the proposed ban on this, you know, I suppose it would be potential to consent when you're 18 but if you're under 18 you can't consent and so it would be illegal for somebody to go to Kira and try and help her and say listen it's much better for you to try and live as a girl um because that's how you're made and so this is the real issue and this is the crux of the matter of the government bringing in attempting to bring in new laws or proposing to bring in new laws around this whole issue particularly saying under 18s can't consent to any help on this matter and I think, Tim, it goes back to what I was saying earlier on. For someone like Kirobel, 
The freedom was there to choose and to change. And somehow she's now saying, you're not trying to ban, as it were, or limit the freedom to now access services, you know, that um, uh, provisions that can help her with that. And, and usually, I mean, and you will know this well, Tim, that a lot of information and statistics that show that many people in a curious situation end up like that, make those decisions then, and then regret it later. Yeah. And now need help to transition back. And then some people are trying to say, no, she should not be given access or help to transition back. It's, it's senseless. It's almost as if, you know, on these matters, when I see the intellectuals, those who are said were well-read, were vastly read with all their degrees, and then there are some of them that are leading on, on some of these bands, it tells me that people become so intelligent, they are dumb. It's like, it's like the intelligence begins to skew their thinking. And it's so simple and sensible. Yes, maybe Kira has realized error shouldn't have happened. That everything we should do then was give her full access to repair that, to recover from that, not make it hard for her to, to, to recover. I want to bring up a couple of more comments before we uh, close. There's Preacher Bear on YouTube who's uh, just commented, we should remove all funding for this mutilation as well as the murder of the unborn. Well, um, I think I think if we were had sane minds as a society as a whole then then that might be might be true uh we live in this topsy-turvy world where good has become evil and so on and um and evil good and and although although what you say in a sense is is shocking but it's actually really shocking where we are uh right now as a society on that matter and then just also another story that came up this week uh that we noticed as well um carol donaldson has commented about this uh saying off topic slightly, but Edinburgh Primary has instructed parents to dress all children, both boys and girls, this is, to wear skirts uh, in support of one boy who already does wear a skirt. Cross-dressing your son in this particular school is now mandatory, um, which is a, it's a- For one uh, day, I think that was, for one day. Just just for one day in solidarity yeah. and these kinds of things. Um, it, it does show again where we are. Um, and it's interesting to note that when we talk to some- I think even the teachers had to wear skirts as well. And it is kind of extraordinary, yeah. It is. Um, I'll just note that in quite a lot of cases where I've seen people who have uh, who have become transgender and then decided to change back to their um, to their real gender, their real sex, um, in quite a few of those stories for men, then they were kind of forcibly dressed up as children uh, in in dresses and skirts and these sorts of things. You you read that quite a lot, so it's just worth noting that this this may seem like oh what what's the harm it's just dressing as a skirt uh people wear kilts anyway these sorts of things uh, okay well granted it's not the the biggest deal perhaps on its own but some of these things can plant seeds and can cause uh problems down the road uh, and certainly in the case as we've seen of nigel and sally Rowe, we've got loads of evidence that we've uh, got from top psychologists top experts uh in terms of how some of these things uh can can cause problems uh from the early stage, but, but encouraging cross-dressing and these sorts of things in the early years can make a, a huge difference to uh, people's life outcomes uh, uh, in, in the long term. Um, all of these things are in our God's hands, you know, from the from the environment uh, to these complicated questions about gender and sexuality. Um, so I think it would be best if we end with a prayer today. Ade, would you be willing to lead us uh, in yeah. lifting these things up to God? 
And so, Father God, I would like to go back to scriptures in Colossians 1. Yes, where we are assured, assured, O oh God, that you created it all. The heavens, the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by you, for you. And you were before it all, you were there. And, they, and all these things consist in you. And thank you that you are the head of your church, the body that you're sending out to disciple nations. And I bless you, God Almighty, that in all of these things, the Bible states that you take preeminence. It pleased your Father that the fullness of them should dwell in you. And I love the fact that in all of our errors, in all of our mess, in all of the things that we've done right or we've done wrong or whatever it is, it says that, Lord, you are now also working. Ah, verse 20 says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, all things, whether in the earth or in heaven. Lord Jesus, Help us, your children, the church, help the nations, the leaders of the nations, help our communities, help also the activists, help, O oh God Almighty, um, governments, because you understand it all. You made it all. And I thank you that, Lord Jesus, kingdoms of men are in your hands. You give it as you will. There's no one difficult for you, O oh Lord, to handle. We pray, O oh God, whether it's on the issue of climate, conversion therapy, matters in the place of education or legislation or in the church, I pray that, Lord, you will intervene. You will intervene in your special way to speak into these situations and help us, your servants, your stewards, your children, to know how to use humanity to explain divinity as it relates to all of this situation. That the things we speak will truly demonstrate your power and your spirit and the manner we engage that will bring renewal of minds that will birth transformation. We pray, Lord, as the days draw near, that indeed your kingdom will come. Your kingdom will come. Your rule, O Christ, will be here. Pray, O God Almighty, help us as the body, the church, to know what our priorities are in these times and to get rid of all the misplaced and displaced priorities and focus on you, the author of all things, the giver of all things, who knows what we do not know and can also release to us by revelation what we need to know and what we need to do. Yes, our world and our climate is in a mess in different places, but Lord, you have the power to speak into it, to calm it, and also to speak to us, the people, you're made in your image about what to do. We ask for more grace because we still have a, a major race ahead of us in our stewardship and in our leadership. So I end with that prayer that always touches me because, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And that for the race ahead and for the task ahead, grant us great grace and peace for the race ahead. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Addy, for that prayer. Thank you, Tim, for joining us as well. Um, I've just got some exciting news as we uh, close today. Uh, we've had uh, a SoundCloud account for some time where we've posted long-form audio, including uh, our streams like Gospel Issues and like Round the Table. And the exciting news is that you can now get these on various podcasting channels uh, and services. So if you search for Christian Concern on any major podcast uh, provider, you should now be able to get uh, Round the Table uh, and our Gospel Issues talks and any anything else that's uh, that's longer like that, uh, where you can really dive into uh, some of these topics in in, in great detail. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, and all of the ones that are based on those ones. So if you can't find us on on whichever uh, app you use, tell us, and we'll make sure that we get on there as well. Uh, so that's new uh, this week. Uh, and on Fridays, we send out emails, um, giving you updates on lots of these things and lots of the things that are going on, how you can make a difference uh, as part of the Christian Concern movement um, and, and and have a positive impact on this world, to love our neighbour, love our God. Um, and I want to make sure you know how to join our email list and sign up for those emails because they're really helpful. I would say so because I edit them. I, I write some of <laughs> some of them. Uh, but you can do that by going to christianconcern.com slash hello uh, if you go on there then you can just uh, fill in a few little details and uh, you can get our emails we'll be sending one out later today and finally uh, the other exciting thing is that beyond the odds uh, a book uh, which i'll which we'll tell you about in a second is is now out tim you wrote two chapters of yep. this book. can you just tell us in a sentence what it's about it's about god's providence in the world wars and uh, 20th century battles in britain and really dramatic answers to prayer, national days of prayer, all of that kind of stuff. If you're interested in history, you'll really like this book. Yeah, or if you even know someone who's really interested in history, it could yeah. make a great gift as well. Uh, it's now out. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can uh, uh, find out more about it, but you can really find out more about it at our launch on the 11th of November. That's next Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, we'll provide the links and things for that. Um, I think we've got a trailer to, to finish off uh, this uh, this stream. Can someone nod if that's the case? Um, brilliant. That's been confirmed. So we're going to play that uh, at the end today so you can find out more about that. So thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you soon. Great. Good. Bless you. At 9.30am on 18th May, Rhys Howe's written his diary. Unless God intervenes today in a miraculous way, I believe we are lost. Beyond the Odds is about key turning points in the First and Second World Wars, uh, when Britain was saved from disaster, and in some cases national catastrophe, in circumstances that defied probabilities, um, hence the title Beyond the Odds. As it was to do so, on more than one occasion during the war, the weather saved the British Army. Brooke wrote afterwards, what might have happened if the Germans had attacked before the winter makes me shudder to think. The title Beyond the Odds is trying to say, look, in these wars, in these battles, things happen that are kind of like extraordinary. And even today, some of these things are somewhat unexplained. The, the extent to which lots of things happen in conjunction and by chance, so to speak. But can you really say it's just by chance? If you factor in God, you wouldn't say that. And then you start to think, well, maybe it was prayer after all. And that's the idea behind Beyond the Odds. Reading his bar by candlelight 
the brigade major remembered the name of the place from 1 Samuel, chapters 13 and 14. He read that Jonathan had gone through a narrow pass between two sharp rocks to gain the higher ground where he had surprised the Philistines. Scouts were sent out and the pass was identified, thinly held by the Turks. The plan of attack was changed and at night one infantry company was sent up through the pass. The Turks thought they were surrounded and fled. And so, concluded Major Gilbert, after thousands of years, British troops successfully copied the tactics of Saul and Jonathan. Beyond the Odds is, is definitely a, a book that I've enjoyed reading. I mean, I am a military historian and I like reading well-researched and well-presented analysis. But what he's adding to this is a dimension that most, uh, if not, well, yes, yeah, certainly most, if not all the other military historians, never really even take into consideration, uh, which is the impact of people's personal Christian faith and the impact of godly intervention in, into these events. For me, and I think Tim as well, the the context is, is important to understand the nature of the events. So what was the background of the events? Why were they significant? How likely were they? It's those kind of questions I think you can only look at when you look at the full history. It's a history book, and I think it will be anybody who's interested in history, who likes reading about particularly military history, World War I, World War II, that sort of thing, will find it interesting and will find it's giving a different perspective to the kind of history that you normally read on these things. The bottom line is, it's a book that I've enjoyed reading. I'm actually going to read it again. I know I will refer back to it in the future in various different ways. Um, particularly, I, I preach every year on Remembrance Sunday, for example. So some of the stories and some of the examples are there to be used and to be useful in, in discussions with people. <laughs>